Welcome, everybody, to part two of the Archetypes podcast. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about the magician, shaman, priestess archetype, as well as the universal lover archetype and the mystic archetype. And the podcast is brought to you by Black Friday, Cyber Monday for Onnit, onnit.com slash Aubrey. Also, Fit for Service, aubreymarcus.com slash Fit for Service. And the Silent Mode Mask, silentmode.com slash Amp. So in this podcast with Caitlin Howe, Eric Godsey, and Kyle Kingsbury, we get really vulnerable. Like we go deep into the areas where we've actually perform well in our own estimation in the archetypes of magician shaman priestess and also where we've struggled and the same in the lover archetype and of course with the lover archetype it cuts deep it cuts vulnerable and finally we end with a discussion on the mystic archetype so this rounds out our part one part two series exploring all of the archetypes i hope you guys found it incredibly productive and valuable thanks for all the feedback so far so as I mentioned, Black Friday, Cyber Monday is here. Soft launching on Wednesday, official launch on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. If you're listening to this sometime far in the future, sorry about it. Wait for the next Black Friday, Cyber Monday, because it's absolutely the best deals that we offer all year with a bunch of cool different prizes and different things that we don't offer at any other time throughout the entire year. This year, we have 60% off doorbusters, which is just stuff that we have extra in the warehouse or things that we want to really highlight and give you guys an opportunity to dig into. 60% off, 25% off all supplements, 20% off nutrition, 10% off fitness equipment while it lasts, caveat, star, asterisk, asterisk, 10% off fitness equipment for as long as it lasts because this is going to blow through incredibly fast. So make sure you act quickly if you're interested in any of our fitness equipment. 30% off the apparel and accessories and 50% off of all of the education for your fitness equipment, the On It 6 programs. So there's also going to be exclusive limited edition sale products, like I said, and free gifts. So check it out. Check back not only for the Black Friday portion, but also the Cyber Monday portion. We definitely offer different things on different days. Thank you so much for your support. Once again, onit.com slash Aubrey is your portal to all the goodness. And I love you guys. Thank you for everything over the last nine years. It's been an absolute dream. So with the deepest gratitude, I just send it all to you and I hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving and an amazing Black Friday. Next is Fit for Service, applications open for 2021. I just spent some time talking with my team about some of the master coaches we're bringing in, hopefully to Costa Rica for trimester one, and it's gonna be phenomenal. I mean, every single time we're like, I don't know if we can make this better, but as we line up the coaches and the musical guests and our whole program, it just seems on an ever escalating spiral as we continue to get better at what we offer, as the community gets tighter, as we learn and as we grow together. So if you're interested, you know, now is the time to jump in. There's a lot of spots that have already been filled. And we really want, if you're called to this, like we want to make sure that you feel like you can be a part of it and you put your application in and see if it's a fit. So I hope to meet so many of you on the inside come January 1st and when we gather in person in March in Costa Rica. But if not, I love you and I'll see you out in the wild. I'll see you on Instagram. We'll share everything that we have. We're also developing an app called the Fit for Service Academy that's gonna have a lot of the similar programming for anybody who can't be a part of the Fit for Service Fellowship. 
But so much love to everybody who's applied. We'll get to your applications as soon as possible. And if you're interested, please apply as soon as possible because spots are filling up super fast and we want to make sure that we're able to serve everybody in the best way possible. AubreyMarcus.com slash fit for service. Applications are open for another few weeks. And lastly, we have silent mode. Now, silent mode is one of those pieces of technology that has come out recently that is really taking a need for people to be able to drop in and train their mental fitness and practice their breath work in a guided way that's actually accomplishing a bunch of different tasks. Instead of having to have your mindfold and have your headphones and have a whole process, silent mode just takes care of all of the work for you. It's a great product. You wrap it around your eyes. It has the headphones all built in and it has an amazing program called Breathonics, which you can get on your iOS and has guided breathing workouts produced by neuromusicologists, which I didn't even know that was a field, but you can actually tell when they're providing it because there's a lot of intelligence behind it and there's some biometric feedback there's a bunch of different content on the breathonics app which plays the content directly into your silent mode so everybody who i've talked to i get people who reach out to me who talk about all the products that i advertise on the show and everybody has reached out and be like man this thing is a game changer i really love it so i hope you guys feel the same it's silentmode.com amp and use the promo code amp and you will get 15% off the power mask and three months free Breathonic subscription. And once again, silentmode.com slash AMP. Thanks for listening, everybody. And now we give you the uninterrupted podcast, part two of the archetypes. Part two. Back again, yeah. Eric Godsey, Kyle Kingsbury, Caitlin Howe, my bestest friends, <laughs> Ohana, and the whole fucking world, all here on a podcast. And so we had the ambition. We were going to talk about king, warrior, magician, lover, mystic, all in one podcast. We rolled well over two hours, and we're like, oh, damn, we only made it through two. <laughs> so now this is part two, and we're going to dive right into the archetype of the magician, shaman, priestess. Oh, and talk about how that is. So, Gazi, why don't you kick us off yeah. with uh, with this discussion? So, um, I was actually listening to that podcast that you mentioned yesterday with Paul Check and what's the man's name? Kydra And I never knew this, but he talked about the origin myth in Nordic mythology about how the world was made. And Odin was essentially a god in this pre-material time, and he fought some type of monster, he killed the monster, and then he made the world from the monster's body. And that reminded me of the Mesopotamian creation myth, which is Marduk fighting Tiamat. And this, I think, sets the stage for what the magician is. So the story is essentially, there's a father god and a mother god, and they have children gods, and the children gods get rowdy and they kill the father god. And Tiamat is the mother of the slayed father god, and she gets upset, and she is a dragon. And she starts to torment the earth with floods and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and things like this, and the gods can't defeat her. And then this new god comes, and his name is Marduk. And Marduk has eyes all around his head, he can speak magical words, and he has a net. And he tells the children gods, I will go kill Tiamat, but if I slay her, you have to make me the king god. And he goes, he takes his net, and he throws it around her, and then he uses his magical words to cut her apart, and then from her body makes 
the world. This is an archetypical story of what language is. And the idea is that the modern God is language. And I think that that's the essence of the magician. And it's that we can't perceive reality until we start to construct with language and symbol. And like children, they can experience reality, but you don't start to get memories until you get enough cognitive architecture to be able to use words, which then creates episodic memory, which is how you begin to even experience like table, person, friend, company. And the essence of the magician, and this comes from the quote from Alan Moore, which is it's essentially using symbols to change consciousness. All art is magic. All speech is magic. Thought is magic. We're all magicians, but most of us are unconscious magicians. And I think this is best exemplified by the short story that Goethe told called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And that story is essentially, there's a sorcerer, he has an apprentice, the apprentice learns one spell and it's how to animate a broomstick. And the sorcerer tells the apprentice, you know, clean the house, I'm gonna go out and get some magical shit and I'll be back in a couple of hours. And so the apprentice casts the spell to make these brooms clean the house for him and he falls asleep. And he wakes up and the broom is flooding the house with the water because the apprentice gave a non-articulate instruction. And then the apprentice freaks out. He tries to cut the broom in half and now there's two brooms bringing water and it starts to flood quicker and he's freaking out. And finally the apprentice comes or the sorcerer comes home, sees how stupid the apprentice is and saves him by casting a spell. We are the sorcerer's apprentice and that we are thinking thoughts all day. It's something like 60,000 thoughts a day is what cognitive psychologists think we're doing. Most of them unconscious, most of them repetitive, most of them negative. And the unconscious expression of the magician is our mind cursing ourselves through these repetitive thoughts all day. The the ultimate expression of the magician is that he uses or she uses symbols and language to create ritual space that allows for transformation to happen within it. And this is best exemplified by shamans. And I think the key to the positive aspect of the magician is that you have no attachment to the outcome of the transformation that happens within the container. The shadow magician is the politician, the manipulator, the person who seeks to have a specific outcome come from the use of his or her magic. And so that's lying is the shadow magician. Um, manipulation is the shadow magician. Uh, purposefully deceiving people to create turmoil is the shadow magician. And so I think that that kind of sets the stage for COVID-19. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. That um, the positive magician allows for transformation. Uh, the negative magician seeks to create the transformation that he or she thinks ought to be. It's really interesting because, you know, you, you look at the, the difference between a, like what you would call a bruja or a brujo, which in, you know, South American 
lore is the witch and that's someone who's usually associated with darker magic or the compulsion of something beyond your free will as opposed to the curandera curandero you know someone who is actually um providing what they would call like real medicine which is the opportunity for transformation however there's still an intention you know from the shaman for healing Mm -hmm. but it's not the intention with the denial of the free will of what will exist and i think that's like the hardest part when you're actually going into that space as a shaman the hardest part is to you know i think you you do need to set the intention so it's not just like here it is whether they break or whether they heal i have no Hmm. i have no intentions for it and maybe that is the purest the purest expression because it's actually completely surrendering to the divine and saying that if this person breaks and has a psychotic break well then that is the will of the divine and so be it but i you know i think for most of us we are dancing a little bit in that subtle shade of gray which is not complete surrender which is that i actually want you to heal but i will allow the process i will surrender to the process that needs to take place for that to heal so it's interesting though like the different levels like the one magician is just allowing pure alchemy and allowing forces beyond the self to create that and unattached to that but then just one slight level which is still on the the good side the white wizard for example like gandalf had an intention when he was the white wizard yeah but still like allowing the space and i know that for me when you know i've acted in in the shamanic role and i'm by no means a shaman but when i've acted in that role it's the hardest part for me is to create the music because that's probably one of the best tools that i have (laughs) as a shaman is the music that i'm offering to play the music that i know is going to bring people into the dark spots into the dark heavy places and some part of that is that i just don't have faith in that healing process but the great shamans they will sing those ikaros you know they will blow out the candle they will make sure that those songs do go into the dark places because they have that ultimate face that faith that through the darkness will emerge the light and that alchemy will transpire and i think that's a big difference between you know i'm still very attached to not only healing but a pleasant experience right, yeah. you know like i want people to have snacks in the kitchen with me later and be like that was awesome yeah you know not like that was the hardest thing i ever did you know like but i'm really the balls gr- yeah exactly like, like and part of that's selfish part of it is like i want to go on with my night you know this isn't my job you know like i want to fucking i clocked out yeah it's like i don't want to i don't want to continue this continue this process but it's it's ultimately like the failure to really you know step into that role in a complete way um, because it's not my intention to step what you guys are speaking to though is exactly what dispensa you know is talking about what how we work with that and, and uh, tim corcoran said this in a different way on my podcast when he when the institute of noetic sciences studied transformation from all these different practices whether it was plant medicine or depth psychology or any of these things there was two things that mattered one intention and two surrender and what Dispenza says is we have our intention of the thing we're calling in to make manifest in our lives, the thing that we want to ground from the etheric into the 3D reality. We surrender to the how and when that happens, right? The manipulation of it needs to happen now, like if it's healing, cool. But at, like ayahuasca works or any good depth psychologist, you don't get the kitchen sink on the first day. You peel a layer of the onion each time you go back. 
And that higher intelligent of the plants understands that it's going to have you for four nights while you're there, or it's going to have you for four nights while you're here. And then you're going to come back six months later. That is known at a level that we can't really comprehend. And so in the knowing of that ability to work with somebody, it's going to come off in layers. And that is the surrender of the how and when. Ian knows, psilocybin knows, the great curandero or curandera understands that too. The healing that takes place is going to happen through the divine timing. And that unfolding will happen as it should and as it will. And if we can understand that and surrender to that, then that is the creating the container that is of the light. It's when we try to say all of it right now, you were raped when you were four, guess you didn't know that, you know, then that's where it gets super fucking sticky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the thing that comes up for me is like, essentially the symbol for the magician is fire. And what the archetype of the magician can bring to the external world and the internal world is transformation. And I think ultimately the light embodiment of the magician is I will burn myself, I will transform. Where the dark magician is, I'm not gonna change, so I'm gonna burn something in the world and transform it to see or to have it reflect how I think it ought to be. And there is this gray area where like one of the gifts of the West is that it gives us the story, you can make the world the kingdom of heaven. You can enact change and transformation in the world. You don't have to simply just be okay with what is and find enlightenment there, which is a path, which I think is a part of the gift of the East. And so there's this middle way with the magician archetype where it's like, submit to being transformed by the environment, but also take the responsibility that you can actually transform the external and the environment to make it more beautiful for all. You saying that um, sparks something for me when I was contemplating on the magician archetype or it could be called the priestess archetype for the feminine, um, but they're both the same. Um, I think about like that line with great power comes great responsibility and we're all magicians. That's for sure true. We are creating our realities all the time. But a lot of people, myself included for a lot of my life, don't know that they are, you know, we're in victim mode to our environment and we're in victim mode to our experiences. And so I think our responsibility as conscious beings is to become aware that we are magicians. So I would say with with awareness comes responsibility. As soon as you're aware and you know that you have an impact on your experiences and the people around you and your words are spells and your thoughts are spells and your experiences are medicine, then you have a responsibility to your power to use that towards love, towards the greater good, towards healing. So there is a, a broad divine loving intention there, but it's not attached to the outcome. And so I think for me, the magician or the priestess archetype means I know that my words are spells. I know that my experiences are going to become medicine. I know that life is ceremony. One day can be ceremony. And I'm going to use that awareness, that consciousness to channel that into what I think is the greater good. Not what I think is the greater good, but just really centering into heart and letting go of the human's attachments and the human's needs and what I think the other person should do or or what I should experience and really just opening up to love and using that that awareness to kind of channel in the openness for transformation in whatever direction that is or not be a victim to my life and have an experience and say like 
this is going in my medicine bag now, and now I'm going to alchemize this into wisdom, and I'm going to share that with people, and I'm going to carry all of that like medicine and aim my words, aim my words with love, you know, and I think we go offline and get into that shadow magician when we kind of know that our energy has an impact, um, but we just kind of don't take responsibility for that. It's the loving responsibility with the power that really calls in that high priestess energy. And everything, you know, bringing into awareness also that everything that we do has a ripple effect, even if that is surrender. You know, in the web of life, we're basically dancing with the consciousness of everything around us, including the plants. And so everything has a ripple. And and that's scary for people. They don't want to look at that because that means like every step I take, every time I hesitate, every time I tell a half truth, every time I have an attachment, that little snag in the web is going to affect something. Everything you do matters. People don't want to hold that. Yeah. When uh, <clears throat> when you look at the great example of a wizard, of a magician, you know, I think of, of course, Don Howard. Same. Right? And he, <laughs> it was very important, the words that he selected as his operating principle for the good of all. Because anytime it's for the good of me, you're in the dark magician, mm-hmm. you know, you're in the yeah. dark magician ma- narrative, especially if it's affecting other people. Now, if it's just solely you with yourself, like this bends, we're bringing in healing, like all good. That is for the good of all, for you to heal, to be fit for service. And that's another important part. It's not about focusing only on the all. You are a part of the all. And to be able to serve, you have to be fit for service first. And that was another key part of it to clarify what he means. But you have to point to that because otherwise it's very easily you know, into the real shadow archetype of this, which is I'm doing this for the good of me. I'm doing this to flex my power. I'm doing this to be the guru separated from everybody else. Nobody else can touch me, you know, and this is all the aspect of that dark magician that we, that we, you know, ourselves can get lost in very easily of course you know and there's so many so what i'd like to do is go around and talk about just the scope of magic you talked a little bit about words and about things but and it's so powerful because we're able to do so much more than we realize and and what we say has so much more like if we say something fearful that fear is contagious if we say something confident that is contagious and it's not only the ideas but then all of the neurotransmitters and the hormones that are released in the body like if I'm talking to the listeners now and say, I'm really disappointed in you guys. You haven't done enough. The world needs you and you just fucking blew it. And, I, and you should be ashamed of yourself. That like has a feeling. And if I'm like, you did your best and you're always enough. And thank you for showing up. And all of your ancestors and all of the higher beings are so proud that you chose to incarnate and exist in this difficult time, in this beautiful time, and to do your best. Thank you. We thank you. We love you. <clears throat> like those are spells. Yeah. Those are one is one is one is a good spell and one is a negative spell. And it's going to create different reactions yeah. in the other. And we do that to ourselves all the time. We're casting these internal spells. And there's spells available everywhere. I mean, the placebo effect, right? Like this is a magic pill that cures a sometimes incurable ailment. You can do a fake surgery on a knee and the knee will heal itself. Like there's mm. magic. There's magic that we don't want to recognize is real because we're under the spell of the collective conditioning. Right. 
So one of the things to like start with is uh, we have been robbed of the tradition of being taught that we are magicians because it's been hijacked by corporations. Brands are sigils. Slogans are spells. Companies are entities. They are not people, but they are spirits. And we've seemed to be in a time where we've called in cancerous spirits, where their modus operandi is to grow simply to grow, which is the same rule, which is the same guiding principle that cancer has. Like it's not for the good of the earth. It's not for the good of humanity. And literally we sit down to be programmed. It is called programming and we are taught how to think like one of the most powerful aspects of your magician is your ability to imagine. Like we can all imagine a flying horse with wings, fully gold, shimmering. That's never existed in the physical world, but everyone who just heard those words is able to imagine it in their mind's eye. When you, you haven't seen my Pegasus. No, gang, gang, heard, heard. <laughs> but when you sit down and you watch programming, even if it's exquisite, that ability of you is being taken from you. Like it's being possessed by the black mirror that you're looking into. And I think that if you simply just didn't look at a black mirror for a couple of days, like the inner magician in you that imagines, that can literally create worlds, will start to unfold and grow. And I think the most powerful magic that we overlook every fucking day are dreams. Like there is a part of you that is powerful enough to create four separate different worlds in the span of three minutes of objective time where each one is so indistinguishable from reality that you think it's real and it's somehow talking to you to teach you things that some part of you knows, but that your consciousness doesn't know to guide you. And sometimes it predicts the future. Sometimes it reveals past lives or traumas. Like, I think dreams are the highest magic. Talk, talk to us about magic, Kyle Kingsbury. That's dope. <laughs> yeah, the thing that came up for me as you were speaking about television programming, it reminded me of why Rudolf Steiner, the inventor of Waldorf, spoke before a time about the importance of how we raise our children, you know, and really that's what birthed Waldorf was that deeper understanding of us as beings within the cosmos, not as the physical, scientific, materialistic reality that we've been indoctrinated with. And at our schools, we have to sign pieces of paper that say we will not give our kids technology. I mean, similar to, you know, the inventors of this technology and the way that they raise their kids, oddly enough, <laughs> no iPads, no cell phones, that right. kind of deal. And, um, even like what you were saying, the best program, the best movie is still giving them something as opposed to allowing them to dream it for themselves. Right. And we're, you know, I'm reading uh, the Harry Potter books for the first time to bear right now. And at the end of each book, we watch the movie and I've, and I've never thought I'd say this, but of course there's so much more in the books than in the movie. But the movie is such a gross version of everything you experience within the book and the book the entire time what's activating your, your third eye your imagination yes. you're seeing exactly. all this i'm seeing all of this stuff as i'm reading it aloud to bear and we're experiencing that reality and that's a beautiful gift but just in, just for parents that there's a lot of parents that are like oh yeah i can't send my kid there or waldorf's a cult or whatever the fucking excuse is <laughs> understand <laughs> 
the seeds that we lay out for the future are our children. And it is incredibly important and imminent that we start to limit that. So that way the imagination is intact and their inner magician is intact. And one of the things I've been telling Barry, cause he really wants to go to Hogwarts is Hogwarts exists, but it's not in England. It's in the Amazon. <laughs> <I love to. laughs> and, and he will have a time where the uncles will take him on a pilgrimage to the Amazon. And that's critical. Um, so of course, you know, when I think of the magician and I think of the, the magic, the thing that reminds me that gives me what, why Native Americans called it the great mystery, you know, to look at the world with wonder and awe, to see with new eyes, all of Ted Decker's and Paul Selig's teachings, that visceral component of plant medicine that is a reminder that helps us in the remembering of who we are, what we are and how we serve. Nothing has been more visceral and experiential to me and many of us than the plants. And, uh, you know, when I think of the potions class at Hogwarts, you know, it's like, yo, they got some potions in the Amazon. They have, uh, I mean, fucking, I'm reading the immortality key right now. Potions everywhere. And they talked about all these different potions from many different plants using henbane and black nightshade and all, I mean, for the, the longest parts of our culture, we're using these methods of magic to tune into God and have a visceral experience of that. The early days of Christianity, the Greeks, how our cult, the Western civilization was built to begin with, you know, to, to think of that and then to say, well, why are we at where we are now? Control's a part of it. Dark magic is a part of that. Well, and, shadow warrior, shadow king, which yeah. is eradicated, burned the witches, killed the people with the potion recipes, drove them underground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've there's been a systematic approach to deny people access to their true power because other people wanted power and also the wisdom to be able to challenge <clears throat> any of the power that they see in the collective and their ability to access. I mean, one of the greatest power structures ever created was the church. If you can access God on your own, you don't need to tithe. Mm -hmm. you know so like all of these manipulative power structures have eradicated this wisdom and it feels like this renaissance is coming now where yep. we're figuring this shit yes. back again and going like what happens if we mix syrian rue with with you know psilocybin mushrooms hmm let's see this potion is interesting yep you know like let's take a look at this and all of these other things going back and now no longer a mystery school it's out in the open because there's at least some boundaries in the west to what the governments are able to do, you know, from they're not able to just completely eradicate and kill. I mean, they've certainly thrown a lot of people in jail, and that's their, you know, version. The eradication and killing did happen for many thousands of years. It happened for many right? thousands of years. But what I'm saying is now there's more freedom than there ever has been. So all of these things are coming back. Mm -hmm. Like they're coming back in now. Archetypes finally. will not be denied. No. <laughs> and we have the access of like, Fuck, if you're in the Greek mystery school, you got maybe a little bit of access to get something shipped from Egypt. You know, you got a little bit of access to get something from over here. We got the whole world, the whole world where we can draw in all of the, you know, flora and fauna that's available and say, like, what do we want to create? Sometimes we're going to make a mistake. You know, sometimes we're going to come up with something dope, you know, and that's the ability for all of us to be these like apothecary magicians making our own potions. And there's the responsibility because in the in the past, when you're in a mystery school, you're apprenticing to yeah. somebody you revere and trust and you have mentorship and you have lineages and stories and, and 
recipes and stuff. And that's handed down through trust and through apprenticeship. And right now there's sort of this, this beautiful opportunity with accessibility, but not as much Mm, um, order reverence. to reverence to right. who is a teacher that I trust and can source, you know, where I'm getting this from in a way that I can really bring sacred honoring to it. And that's a big part of, I think, the magician archetype too, is really having that sacred honoring and that reverence for the magic that you are holding. I think of so many ways, <laughs> as you guys are speaking, that magic um shows up in my life and in all of our lives. And for me, uh, something that I think we overlook so much because the rational mind is used to it, just like dreams, is just imagination. Like we, belief is a huge magical superpower. Like I can think of all these years where I wrote in my journal about things that I desired and like prayed for, and maybe they didn't happen like that day or the next month or anything, but I can look back on the history of my life and be like, wow, Everything I really wanted actually came true. I just got in the way of it happening fast over and over and over again. And my my counter my counterproductive beliefs, my beliefs that it couldn't possibly happen or my fears impeded that from happening at a faster rate. So we see this happen all the time with placebo or people who recover from illness in a miraculous way where their belief really changed their entire reality and defied all odds. And we're at the mercy of the odds that we're given. So even though we have so much access to information, we have access to, you know, you have this illness, this is probably what's going to happen to you. Um, you know, you were born into this socioeconomic position. This is probably how you're limited. You know, we're getting fed all this information and it's structuring our belief systems. And we need to harness the infinite potential of our belief to reframe the reality that we're living in. And I do that by, um, I don't do it, you know, I'm not, I will not call myself a priestess yet, but I definitely feel like I shifted into awakening that archetype in me by starting to have a conversation with life and really setting down fear whenever I could and being like, what's on the other side of this fear? Fear is a fear is a counterspell. It is a it's a belief. It's a belief that something are. negative is going to happen. If you don't have the belief that that negative thing is going to happen, you're not afraid. Yeah, and it's belief. So, belief is such a big superpower. That's it. It's our yeah, superpower. absolutely. And I feel, um, you know, just just having a conversation with life has been game changing for me. Um, Eric supports me a lot. Of I dream like crazy and eric supports me a lot in my dream interpretations and real uh lately i just started thinking about i had a few things happen throughout my days and i started thinking about that were kind of surprising and challenging and i started thinking about what if i treated my each day like a dream like every morning when i have something special happen and i'm like oh my god what does it mean but then we have a full day where we're dreaming life and we're just kind of like eh, it was another day like how much was the universe speaking to me today through the most subtle or mundane little thing? And to where try did you ignore it? Yes. That's one thing that Dispenza talks about all the time. Every night before he goes to bed, he asks himself the humble question, where did I fall from grace today? Where wow. did I turn away from the whisper? You know, And he just goes through that subtle reflection. And where did I listen? What did I do today that, you know, got me closer to the divine and got me closer to my potential and he just has that little moment before bed where he just goes through and does that self-reflection and i then, love that and every day he gets a little bit better and a little bit sharper because he's increasing his awareness and increasing the opportunity and dispensa has 
the ultimate superpower of believing that he's creating his life. And that motherfucker is. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. Yeah. But like just giving yourself start to me, it start with imagination. Imagine that you are being spoken to at all times, not only through the plants, not only through your dreams, but imagine that every interaction, every subtle experience that kind of that kind of ruffles something and feels like, oh, was that a whisper? Was that a sign? Yeah, it was a sign. There are signs all over all the time. And let's just open up that gateway that children have with imagination that says, like, I can create any life that I want. When you're looking at these signs, it reminds me of a story because we can sometimes get sidetracked and we can sometimes get like over magical and think that everything sure. is, you know, <laughs> everything has some special meaning. And it's a story of, um, a few Westerners who were sitting in an indigenous circle about to light the Chinupa pipe, which is a tobacco pipe tradi traditional to the Lakota people. And they offered it to one of the Western women to actually light the pipe. And it was a windy day and she's trying to light the pipe, but it won't light because the wind keeps blowing out the lighter. <clears throat> and then eventually she stops and she says, I guess great spirit doesn't want us to smoke the Chinupa today. And one of the indigenous Lakota elder women says, give me the lighter. It's just windy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then she totally. lights it, you know. Totally. So it's like we can we can sometimes not realize that it's it's just the wind. Yeah. You know, it's just this thing that and so we can read too much into it and then we can get call, caught in this in this thing that's just not allowing the the subtle things that, to be the subtle things yeah. like if a bird flies maybe it means something maybe it just means that bird saw some shit over there and wants to wants to go eat it you know but sometimes we've been on those soul wanders where mm -hmm. that raven will come or when my grandma died and two ravens came and like hovered in front of me and i was like well this feels like a real sign and then other times where maybe not but i think it's better to err on the side of let's look at it as if it was a a part of the mystery if as if it was magic but still have a healthy amount of skepticism. i think that that absolutely and i think that that what it does is when you get a sign you don't just go it was a sign you go then into your knowing and so that the knowing is something i think that might be worth touching on for a minute because it's something i didn't understand until a couple of years ago and that is your own divine compass that says that tells you what it means like you actually have the information inside of you you don't just go as a sign what does it mean like or you can drop into your knowing and your knowing will say no it actually wasn't it was just the wind or yeah and it meant this it meant go this way it was this message and we have we outsource again like going back to corporations you know government structures religion we outsource so much of that knowing to other entities to say like what is my truth what is the truth and the truth is all right here amen and that's exactly what i was going to touch on when you were given that example which is all of us have the felt experience of this voice inside of us that we know is not our ego that we know is not our fear or our anger or our jealousy it comes in a different tone it doesn't elevate or diminish the ego it's almost always just clear sentences, short, concise sentences. And often our ego's response to that voice is like, oh, come on, or no. And I think one of the most important things I've ever heard Jordan Peterson articulate, and because it blew my mind, is this idea that this inner whisper, which I like to call the daemon, and that comes from the Greek conception of this thing inside of you, but it's that, it doesn't come into the world infallible. It has to grow with you and you have to meet it halfway. 
And if you constantly lie, if you constantly manipulate or don't do the things that it's called to do, it weakens how that thing expresses to you. It actually keeps that thing small. It won't ever die. Like that thing's never going away, but it grows with you as you meet it. And like, I'm at the point now where I feel like I'm, I've like, and I've, I've talked to you about this. Like I almost don't have free will. Like I know that I have free will to act within how I'm going to dance. But if I hear the song, there is no, no, I'm not doing that because the thing's so big. I fed it so much that it's like, I am not the captain of my own ship. Mm. That's uh, and that's crossing into mystic territory where <clears throat> the mystic, you know, and there's actually a show on Netflix called Messiah. And it's really interesting because it, it shows like a modern day mystic, like a modern day Jesus figure <laughs> and like how he acts. And <clears throat> he's completely surrendered to what that divine will is the lowercase i that is him his name is completely out of the way and so he just waits until he's instructed what to do and like what he does is not always what you would expect you know like at one point he's sitting and just meditating in this tent he's done some miracles meditating in this tent and everybody wants him to come out and he's just he won't come out and it's just he hasn't got the sign to come out and then people are starting to leave they're getting frustrated then he he hear he like hears this one sound of like a whining dog and like a and he gets out of his tent and he goes over to this other tent and grabs a gun and shoots the dog and then goes back in his tent because the dog was suffering and that was the first sign he got to get out of it but it was like that's exactly the wrong look if you're trying to be the messiah right like if you have your own you're like the first time people are going to see me i'm going to march straight over to this tent i'm going to grab the gun that i know is there and i'm going to shoot this dog while people are watching like mm. not the move if you're trying if you're trying to do anything but if you're just fucking listening and that's what source says hey there's a dog suffering there and they're not going to do anything about it like send it back you know send it back to the all like give it back to awa and I was like, all right, well, here I am. God damn. And that's, I think, we'll, we, we will talk about the mystic, but that's that's the level. You have to be really willing to surrender the lowercase i, except in the utmost triviality and of play, right? Like, I'm sure that the mystic can still choose, you know, Rocky Road or, you know, mint chocolate chip ice cream. <laughs> right. You know, like capital I is like, whatever you want, bro. You know, like, yeah. like, sources like, just go for it. You want both? Eat both. Like, go fucking. I don't care. Yeah. You know, I think, and I, so I think there's always a little bit of room, but as far as like the important actions, you know, surrendering to that, and I think we're all in the process of of listening sometimes and ignoring sometimes and being selfish other times. So one of the things we've done with all of these archetypes is talk about the ways in which we've excelled and exemplified, and the ways in which we've fallen short. And I'd like to go to you first, Kyle, because, you know, and you can talk about whatever you want, but amongst us sitting at the table, you know, you've actualized the shaman archetype uh, to the greatest degree of any of my friend peer group. Of course, we've been with the great shamans of the world as well. Um, but as a shaman, you know, and as someone who acts in that role, you know what have what have you learned in the lessons where is particularly in that and then you can talk about whatever else but particularly in that where you've really excelled and like how you've actually operated in the highest way and the lessons you've learned from the times you've fallen short in that in that opportunity to hold space and be that hollow bone 
Beautiful brother. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny as you say this, because the things that come up for me are, are the fact that I'm not a hollow bone, as, as hollow as I can get in the service of others. Um, eventually, there comes a point in the night if I'm, if I'm sitting for a group where I will have the opportunity when everything's straight and I've tuned into people and I understand like, okay, this is, this, everyone's good. Is there anything that I have to release? You know, and then I see there's, there's quite a bit more. <laughs> so, so that, uh, I, I think without getting into specifics, there's, there's some stuff there. I will say on the medicine path, um, and this parallels into something that I take when I have a certain equivalency, I think a lot of us do this, but for me personally, I have a lot of equivalency with my body, with diet, nutrition, with working out. And I'll oftentimes take the little steps, the basics of what got me there for granted. And in doing so, we'll train through an injury I should be resting and, and honoring the pain teacher with. Or um, sure, I can eat sh like shit because I'm traveling and it's a fun vacation. And it's like, oh, well, traveling in and of itself is hard on the body. So I probably shouldn't eat like shit in the airport. And then I suffer for a couple of days until I finally come back to equilibrium. Anything that takes me out of my center, you know, the closer I get to living in that space, the more palpable it is when I'm off. And um, you know, I think the story that I told last year with LSD on the mountain where I thought we were going to, you know, have a microdose and uh, ended up being blasted off into, you know, plus 10x over what a standard dose of LSD is, you know, a thousand micrograms plus for each of us and puking at a rate that didn't make me think we were going to OD on LSD, but that we could die of heat exhaustion. Um, that was pretty brutal, but as I look through the, what were the basic steps that would have allowed me to tune into that and and understand, oh, you're not about to do a microdose. Well, that would have been first slowing down, getting quiet, setting my intentions, using tobacco as a bridge to honor my intention and really see, did this leak on the airplane flight because of the pressure of the airplane or was it dehydrated all week while I was in Arizona? Right, I think I would have gotten very clear on that. Like, oh, this is just diluted, or not diluted. I mean, it's concentrated. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's been. Uh, it's still the whole bottle, buddy. <laughs> and when you reconstitute that, you can still take a portion of one drop to have yeah, the microdose experience. Had liquid LSD bone broth that became liquid LSD bullion. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, of, of all journeys that I've had, you know, and, and rightfully so, the next day I was supposed to speak and did on how to go about setting a proper set and setting an intention and <laughs> the, the universe right way has to a use. sense of humor. Yeah, exactly, exactly, no doubt. And I mean, halfway through it, when we were finally felt safe and taken care of, I just burst out laughing in that full realization, the divine timing of that to know like, oh, there are these little things that I can pay attention to. And if I ignore them, I can get slapped. And uh, that that I see is, is, you know, not happening this year, but it's still one of the most important downloads I've ever received from medicine. It's still the roughest ceremony. I mean, it took me months to fully unpack that and to forgive myself. And I puked violently when I got back off the mountain because of all the fear I had held with Ian. You know, it was, and that, that lesson, thankfully, I haven't been, had to been reminded of. That's something I still carry with me in my heart as I enter into medicine space with respect and reverence, whether it's for myself or for a few others. 
Um, that's something I hold big time. Mm -hmm. What I want to talk about on the light side of the magician, shaman, whatever, however we want to uh, work on that, were some downloads I actually had on a soul wander in Sedona on Bear Mountain. And I thought I was going to find you know, the base of Bear Mountain and get into a cave. And that's what was calling me there. But you know, along the path, some signs and downloads were coming from juniper trees that I'm just going to go where I'm, where I'm shown. And I saw this perfect path carve off to the right with no cactus. And so I took that path and that led me up a hill, which was fairly gradual, onto a cliff on top of this uh, Bear Mountain, which I've never experienced. It's like, oh, I'm going to go high today. Maybe I'll get some bird medicine. And as I sat on top of the mountain, not a ton of downloads were coming in. So I started to meditate with the, uh, the Native American spirit wheel, the North American spirit wheel. And when I got to the North, which in Tim Corcoran's model is about responsibility and taking care of those that we honor, you know, it's, it, being a dad, a lot of stuff came up. And one of the things that came up for me uh, was around bear. I'm getting worked up before I even say this poem. <laughs> yeah. Man, but this is from uh, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Many of you have heard this before, but it's worth, it's worth saying. So I'm just going to read this poem, and then I'll talk about how this unpacked. But, and a woman who held a babe against her bosom said, Speak to us of children. And he said, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, Yet they, not, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. That's my favorite poem in that book. Thank you it, so much, it gets man. me every fucking time. And so the, the concept of the bird medicine is something, it is a creature that sees from up high all that's happening down low. And it can peer into the future. It can see and conceptualize all that's happening with a greater degree, degree of clarity and awareness. And I had a lot of bear medicine, a lot of bird medicine around uh, bear, you know, and really seeing that, especially with him as an individual being, he's going to learn through experience. And it's not up to me to teach him everything I know. He's going to need to experience these things. And if I can set up these dominoes at different stages of his life that are including me and not including me, some with uncles, some with aunties, some with different elders, in different ways to approach the access points of knowing, which we will dive into you know, in the mystic, and I can table that. But it was so affirming to understand what my role looks like in their lives and the importance of all the sea of shit that we experience right now and the chaos that's going on right now. If I can find my center, there is peace in the eye of the hurricane. And all that I need to do is plant these seeds and water them effectively for the future so we have a more beautiful world. Parents are magicians. 
The ever. ultimate, yeah. yeah. Mm. JT. Oh, wow. That stirred me. Um, man, this one, <laughs> when I reflect on um, all the, the ways I've misused my magic, um, I have a lot of compassion for myself because I can see that most of it, I didn't understand the power that we are all holding. I wasn't awake to it yet. You know, um, when we think about like reactivity or manipulation that we do in our relationships and attachments, a lot of that is born from the magicianry that we learn as children, mm. because this is how I, how I manage and keep myself safe and, and comfortable in my world. So it is important to have compassion with that, but it can linger for our entire adult lives. And it's lingered for longer in my life than I'm proud of, you know, um, manipulative attachment. And, and, but I've woken up to it. And so what, where it gets heavy is recognizing the point at which I began to wake up to where I wasn't choosing to yield my, wield my pad, my magic in, a light sense, but using it to, you know, get my dark magic, get my attachments and things of that nature. Um, where I've, I think my biggest transgression against my own inner magician, my own inner priestess has been denying the screams of God. Um, I've been, you know, I've had people reflect to me like, God talks to you really loud. And when you ignore the whispers, they turn to screams. And um, in my attachments to my human experiences and those deeply ingrained um, spellcasting maneuvers and, um, and habits, really, that help me feel safe in my world, I have denied the call to this higher um, experience of my magic for so long that there is sorrow there. Um, you know, I think of how many times I've felt intuition and doubted it and stayed small. And for the priestess, you know, she wields this magic, this intuitive power without interruption. There's no interruption in it. You feel it, you act. You get the call, you answer. You go towards that call from God. And that's been really heavy to hold, to think like, um, you know, I have such a strong shadow and the brightest light casts the greatest shadows. Mm -hmm. And when I choose to cower, it's like, I want to stay in the matrix. I don't want to wake up to, I don't want that responsibility. That's basically me saying that I won't make the sacrifice. You know, the sacrifice is you have to allow things to die. I heard an amazing quote by Jack Kerouac uh, this past week, which is, accept loss forever. <sighs> and that's a writer's quote. That he, he talks about the writer's path, which is my calling. Um, but to let die yourself to let die all of those attachments, those addictions, those habits that make you feel safe in the human world and step fully into your priestess calling. And I'm starting to do that, so I'm proud of that. I feel like there's a lot of power for me here, and I have to claim it in order to really, really sit with it and and um, be a channel, a hollow bone for that. And I've started to do that, and it's been a slow process. Um, but it's exciting to feel what's on the other side of saying yes to those small sacrifices and dying those small deaths and even having grace with the really, really big deaths that, that want to keep me in the shadow and keep me in the dark. And I did it for a long time, but I feel myself really stepping out of it now. 
and it feels really good. Good. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I mean, mine is, is somewhat similar. You know, I think on the positive side, you know, I've dreamed big and like believed those dreams into existence. I dreamed about on it and look at it now. You know, I dreamed about fit for service and look at it, look at it now. And I've dreamed about that book and, and I actually left a space on the top of that book for the New York Times bestseller because I saw it there. And as we were making the title, I told, you know, Stephanie, the designer of the cover, I was like, we got to move the title down a little bit because on top is New York Times bestseller. So go ahead and put that there now because it's going to come you gang, know, gang. after that first week. Gang. And like, there's been times where I've used that magic in a really positive way. But, you know, there's other times too where I've been afraid to acknowledge it. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, the Dispenza stuff. I'll allow my sleeplessness or I'll allow some, you know, consistent inflammation or I'll allow some of these different things. And I'll just throw up my hands and go, oh, you know, something's going on. And, I, I, and I'll, I'll step into my impotence, knowing full well with the methods, with the meditations where he's going to teach me and lead me exactly through the process by which I can alchemize that and live in the future reality in which that has changed, signal to my body all of the different things it needs to signal so that my actual physiology changes because we're protein-making machines. We can modify our epigenetic sequence at any given time, but nonetheless, I'll be like, oh, I'm not feeling good. And I'll do that all the fucking time, you know? So, and interestingly, this is, this is the big pattern for me. When something, when I'm really called, I step forward. But when it's something that I can, I can kind of uh, sidestep and move out of the way, I, I have a lot, like far too often. And I think that's, that's, to me, it's just the willingness to really step into my own power in all aspects. Even as a, someone who's holding space, I can remember times we were in a Wachuma ceremony and one of the people who was there this was with don howard and it's just don howard holding space there he really became unglued and don howard has this beautiful mesa this beautiful altar and it has representations of both dark energy and light energy and he has a conquistador sword in there representing the dark energy and holding in reverence the totality of the divine which includes the dark energy i mean the conquistadors came and conquered all of you know south america and mesoamerica for the most part in different ways and this guy took the sword and he was like i'm not worthy of being here and tried to start cutting himself now the sword wasn't sharp but he was trying to cut himself and then he realized that wasn't working so he took his stingray necklace and was trying to cut himself with the spine of the stingray and losing it and don howard was trying to hold the space of the collective so couldn't rush over to him and so like immediately i stepped into action and I like held the guy and I just started talking to him about love and faith and just connected with him at the, the deepest level. And that was me stepping into my magic because it was necessary because he had a sword in his hand, you know? Whereas other times, you know, I'll just be like, eh, it's fucking, it's a little weird right now, but I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to come to the forefront. Remember in another DMT ceremony, I was, you know, I was with a uh, actual UFC champion and He'd already experienced DMT. He wanted to go really deep. He went really deep, and then he decided it was too much. He's like, "I'm done. I want to. I'm, I'm done. I'm out of this. I wanted it to be over." And he started to started to freak out. And normally, when I'm, you know, I'm doing my best to hold space for the for the container, but I'm kind of like halfway in to like really deeply. But at that moment, something just clicked in, and I just went down to him, put my head right on his head, and I was like, 
you're absolutely fine champ like you got one round it's a five minute round you can handle anything in a five minute round can't you this is over in five minutes you just stay here right with me and wasn't the words that i was saying which definitely had an impact because words are spells but it was the consciousness that i was able to hold like this pure like pure confident consciousness and like east just settled right down and so to me that my success and my failures are all woven in together where when i've been called and it's a big dream and it's an important thing i will use my magic but so many other times i just throw up my hands like i'm not a magician i'm just a dude you know and the world is crazy and i think you know so the growth edge for me is to every single day accept my mantle as a as a magician as we all are it's not that i'm special it's just that really stepping in because i know better and i can't use the excuse well i didn't know right. i didn't know i could signal my body to change i didn't know that i could actually you know create a future reality by believing it into existence like i didn't i do know that and now it's just a matter of like doing it and having the courage to believe that because it's scary to believe it. it's scary there's fear of hope that's what i talked about with dr ross ellenhorn it's scary to hope because we're trying to protect ourselves from the potential disappointment of that not coming true what if i believe that i can sleep well and it doesn't happen well then i'm going to be even more disappointed and so i'm going to have the layer of not only am i not sleeping but now i'm disappointed because i didn't reach that expectation so i'm trying to protect myself from the disappointment by denying myself the actual ability to create the reality that i want and all too often we're afraid to hope we're afraid to dream we're afraid to dare because we're afraid of the disappointment well fuck that you know like if you're disappointed so what you know but just like go for it and that's uh that's my little pep talk to myself so <laughs> yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah, for me, um, where I feel like I've been most in the light this past year with my magician, and um, I'm not going to tell the specifics to protect people's identity, but essentially I've had two experiences in my life where the person in front of me would have what Western culture would call a complete psychotic break. <clears throat> and the first time it happened, and the synchronicities here are so incredible, but um, I'd been at Barnes and Noble all day for like six hours reading Carl Jung, just completely immersed in that whole reality tunnel. I come home. The surprising part of that is that you didn't have that book that you were reading at Barnes and Noble in your library, but continue. <laughs> that doesn't make any fucking sense. This is to before me at I had all. any money. Burritos. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And one of my neighbors, um, I knew that she had or she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And because we always smoked weed in my garage, we had this big like weed smoker couch in my garage and my garage door was open and when i pulled up to my house she was in there and the moment i stepped out like all my roommates were afraid of her like whenever she would walk down the street and talk out loud they would like go inside and i felt possessed the moment i got out of the car and i knew i just walked up to her i sat down i listened to her um i chose to interpret all of her stories as if they were waking dreams um, I didn't respond with like disgust or fear at any of the exaggerated parts of these stories that were graphic or gruesome. And I just sat with her for like three hours and the entire time, it's like Eric was moved back and I was just like, and I could feel that I wasn't in the driver's seat. And after like three hours, she just kind of like, like her like head clicked and she looked at me and she was like, you're my angel, thank you. And then just left and went home. And this past year, almost the exact same thing happened. Um, Someone had a really intense experience. Uh, The people that were meant to take care of it weren't equipped to take care of it. 
And I was like the new guy and my ego was like, it's not my place to step in here. But then I felt the exact same thing, uh, just completely possessed, did the same thing, had the same response. And the download that I got is like, um, you're meant to be in this space with people more in the future. And my ego's like, fuck, this is terrifying. But, um, <clears throat> and that actually segues into the dark aspect of the magician for me, which is, fear of how big this archetype is in me and that unless i'm explicitly called i don't go into this space i don't go deeper than i need to go i don't go like i could learn a lot from kyle in this space because i can feel that uh how big this thing is in me is so big that um i'm going to have to do intense experiences and i don't do them willingly and i play small i pretend like i'm afraid but i know that i'm it's it's this weird game that i've been playing for like eight years where uh i don't say yes to the initiation that i know that i'm being asked to go to and the big download the last couple of weeks because of being in y'all's presence is um saying yes and so this next year there's going to be a lot more intentional challenging scary uh adventures but that's how i've like fear has been one thing that me. um comes up when you both of you guys were talking was just a quick calibrating question to ask yourself if you're trying to get to know your intuitive impulse is what would i do right now if i wasn't afraid and if i wasn't trying to fix or prove myself mm. And for me, in between those two, if you can set both of those aside, it'll be really clear. Like a lot of the times intuition comes and you're like, oh, what are people gonna think of me? Or that's very weird. Why would I put my forehead on somebody else's forehead or something? And you can kind of set aside like, am I performing or proving myself? Am I trying to fix or save this am person? Am I performing or proving myself? Yeah. You know, like those are really important questions to ask whether mm -hmm. you're being the light magician. Because if you're doing either of those things, trying to prove something or being a being in your own dramaturgy, playing the wizard rather than being the wizard, there's a <laughs> yeah. big fucking difference yeah. between those two. Just keep asking yourself, even if you're by yourself and a weird impulse comes in and you're like, no, I shouldn't do it. But if you're like, oh, I should, maybe don't. Interesting, <laughs> no. yes. All right. On to the lover. On to the lover. Juicy. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is an archetype where we all we all have a lot of access to this because we're all lovers. I mean, I don't think anybody who's listening maybe there's a, a monk or something out there, who, but that love is just you know love for the great beloved or love for spirit or in that way. And um, it's been interesting, you know, certainly you can draw upon a lot of personal experiences for this. And, and it actually may segue even in the explanation of the lover um, really immediately into that discussion about how we've actually acted in the highest accord for the lover archetype and how we've acted in, you know, kind of the shadow accord of the, of the lover archetype. And there's a lot of crossover between all these archetypes, you know, from so many different ways. Ultimately, in every one of these, the shadow archetype, it's all about the self you know and the lover archetype and in the in the divine or sacred archetype it's all about the all it's all about the 
the collective. It's all about who you and who you're loving. And I think that's um, that's kind of the biggest distinction between there because real love loves for the sake of love itself. You know, there's a great <clears throat> there's a great passage from Cyrano, and I wish I had the book here as well. But he talks about loving Roxanne through christian who's the the beautiful handsome one who he believes is the only one that roxanne will love even though roxanne really falls in love with cyrano's soul and he's cyrano's feeding christian his words through his soul so that roxanne will actually feel love and he talks about this love and he says even if i can just hear the laughter born of my sacrifice without her ever ever knowing that that joke was from me like that's how much he loves her it doesn't matter that he gets the credit for being the funny one or that he gets the credit for the kiss or the you know the sexual act and the pleasure there the fact that he held, he loved her through someone else and would never get the credit until maybe the, that final moment in his death scene where she realizes that it was him all along he loves her in such a pure way that he is willing to just allow somebody else to take all of the glory and all of the pleasure from that because his pleasure is just that she feels love now his failure was that he didn't love himself enough exactly to believe exactly that that he was worthy of love you know so that's where he failed the lover archetype and that's where he also excelled in the lover archetype he loved so unconditionally and so purely another but failed to love himself in that same way and deem that he was worthy of love just let that sit yeah. And we're good. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I gotta go cry. So let's wow. talk about let's let's just go right into it, you know, because I think this will explain the lover archetype probably better than a, an archetypal understanding purely. And let's talk about in our own life or any story, other stories that we know about where we feel like we've really lived that lover archetype in the highest accord, and where we've been in the shadow of the lover archetype. Yeah, a so the myth that comes up for me that I think will resonate with every motherfucker listening that I think explains one of the shadow aspects of the lover <clears throat> is the myth of Apollo and Daphne. And it's essentially Apollo is the sun god. He sees this beautiful nymph in the forest and he seeks and he wants her to be his. And so in very Greek fashion, he just starts chasing her. He doesn't ask for consent. He doesn't try to talk to her, but he starts chasing. And her response before she can even think like, oh, a God wants to be with me. Her reaction to being chased is to run. And she's running and she's running and Apollo is running and running and he's about to catch her. And so she sends a prayer out to her father who is the spirit of the forest to save her. I think it was the river actually. but it turned her into a tree, but yeah. So um, she gets turned- Fact in, check. Right. <laughs> uh, she gets turned into a laurel tree and Apollo in his undying love for her then uses that tree as the crown for champions for like the Olympics and for things like that. All of us um, have had moments in our lives where we're unconscious, where we either pursue someone else to validate ourselves, or we run from someone pursuing us because we don't think that we're worthy. And that seems to be the essence of the way that the shadow lover plays out in relationship in our culture is we chase, we run, 
But the core of both is because we don't have what Bergiak didn't have, which is self-love. And I think that for me, um, the light expression of my lover this year is because I show up impeccably in my own eyes and in the eyes of you know my soul, <clears throat> when things go in a way that are very hurtful for me, I look in the mirror and I can look myself in the eye as I'm crying and I can say, I'm so fucking proud of you. I love you. I see you. Um, and I will like, it's complete peace. Even though I'm weeping, there's a complete peace where it's like, you're fucking doing it, man. Um, and then the shadow lover is when I forget that. And when I forget that I chase or I run or I hide behind anger. Um, but it can't ever stay long because it's so easy for me to cry. So it just takes a good poem <laughs> or a good song or a fucking sunset. Um, but those, that's how it's played out for me this year. I love it, brother. <laughs> yeah, damn, we're good. I love you guys. <laughs> yeah, for me, the, the, the shadow lover, uh, I think it's the active form in, in King War Magician Lover is the lover that knows no bounds, boundaryless. And this mm. is, you know, in that pairing, uh, King Magician, Warrior, and Lover. One without boundary is one that seeks love from the all, but never quite is settled with the exquisiteness of that love. So the Don Juan archetype, the one who constantly seeks and, and is never really full, so discards that and finds love in another. And there was a lot of that, <clears throat> even though I've only had one partner in, in when we were in an open relationship, that was a driving mechanism. Even though I'd only acted upon it with one person, there was still this, this feeling of, I want to fucking experience everybody. I've even said it at first for service events. Like, <laughs> you look at all you beaming. I want to fuck everyone here. <laughs> and uh, Guys too. <laughs> and, and you know everyone everyone every, y'all and i've just had you know i had i had a vision uh of having sex with another and as i pulled away i could see like spider webs connecting us wow and it was this oh there is no clean break there is no nothing that comes without energy given and energy received in that experience and for me that was very palpable because even in the fantasy of being with other people I always leave that part out, like the strings attached, because there are fucking strings attached. There's no other way around that. And in this boundaryless form of the shadow lover, that desire to experience God in all forms is there. And one of the ways that's shown up for me throughout my life is through the addict, you know, and, and, and not even just with, you know, my college days and partying and wanting to get out of my head with the wrong drugs. It's come through with, me not, you know, if I'm not a hollow bone and I haven't given myself space, not just to the medicine, but space within through yoga, through meditation, through calm reflection, then I'll go back to the wishing well too often, you know, and I'll jump into plant medicines and, and I'll be like, well, this experience wasn't that dope. I didn't get very many downloads. Why is that? And if I could truly get calm, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> again, this is my third ketamine journey this week. Maybe I need to pump the brakes a little bit and, and actually put my feet on the ground and start to to do the things that I'm being asked of. You know, can I can I live out the experience of those downloads in a way mm. to where it's fully integrated before I step back into that? 
And it's, it's within this active form of the shadow lover that I'm constantly seeking, never really settled down in my own skin mm. and experiencing that love in its fullness to truly appreciate the love uh, that I have when I make love to Tosh, to truly experience the love that I have in any one particular journey and give it space to really settle in and ground in my experience. And, uh, you know, the active side of this is, is for sure my kids. I remember when my mom told me after an argument, you'll never really know how much I love you until you have kids of your own. And a lot of parents have said that. And I was like, whatever, you know? <laughs> Don't checkmate me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I get it. Like, um, you know, when, when Ted Decker talks about the to seek a, a love that knows no record of wrong, and he talked about the the communication he had with his son in saying, there's nothing you can ever do that would make me not love you. And how that just whew, broke them both open. But it's true. And it's in the resonance of that truth that we do know that love, right? So it's it's not the reason it cracked their hearts open and the tears came out is because it was the truth with a capital T. And that has been the love that I experienced for my kids. Um, and with that, the great responsibility of loving them and knowing it's not giving them everything they want and all the other things that come with what it means to be the king, the warrior, the magician, the lover, and, and really uh, allow them to fulfill their fullest potential as I show up, not in the way that I want, but in the way that they want. Um, the lover's been been huge for me in that respect. Mm, thank you. I'm really grateful that you brought up uh, the spider web symbol. I I was journaling over the summer. Um, there was a nest of black widows outside my parents' house when my dad was passing away, and I was I had this bolt of recognition about how strong my webs are, and how. Um, even if I say I've let something go, as long as there's still a desire or attachment, um, that cord is still there. And like just dropping into like where are all my webs reaching. Um, so that's been a big part of my shadow expression is really attachment um, and undying devotion almost to everything because I love so much. I love so much. I don't think there's a lot of, I love life, right, Aubrey? Yeah, you do love life. I love life. <laughs> so I don't know many people that love life as much as me. I'm excited by everything. I notice, you know, a dead leaf on the ground and I'm like, wow, it's beautiful. And that is actually a superpower um, because uh, I think something really important to mention is that the lover is also the poet. The poet is able to love everything about life. The poet takes the most mundane coffee or coffee cup and saucer or, you know, the roots of a tree or someone who's dying or a love that's burning his insides and is like, I love this so much. I am turning this into art and I am going to love it through my words in a way that other people can love it too. And they can love their human experience too. I love it all. Like that's part of the beauty of the lover archetype. It's it's not only relational, it is also experiential. It is everything about the world and about existence. Where it gets tricky is where we get those cords of attachment stuck to things because you love them so much. And so the beauty of the alchemy of poetry, and it's something that I use when I'm strong enough and clear a vision enough to do so, is the alchemy of writing through it and making it into art instead of instead of hitching it to an outcome 
or an attachment is that it alleviates that tension entirely and you can just, you can transmute it and you can share it with people and it can bring other people grace in their experiences um, as well. So I think, uh, you know, bringing in some of that poet perspective into the lover archetype is a really beautiful way to broaden the perspective of what it means to be a lover. And for me, you know, it's been a lot of that stubbornness of, you know, I do have the capacity to love and my love isn't going to die when I let somebody go. You know, Aubrey's a great example of this. Um, I'm going to allow them to transform through that alchemy of poetry, whether that's written or not in my own experience. I'm going to say, yes, this love is never going anywhere. And it's super strong. And I'm going to see you in all of your glory and beauty. But it, I'm also going to let it transform, whether that's through a poem or through our relationship or through how I experience the world and just and just sit fully in the seat of that that un unconditional love and love it all the lover for me is uh i think been probably the most challenging archetype for sure and i think uh looking looking through i remember you know <clears throat> early on i was i was such a lover you know i would i would see somebody i like and i'd write them a poem and I'd give them a flower and give them a gift and they'd be like, ew, gross. Like, and then they would go after somebody who didn't love, didn't love them nearly the way that I did. Those and was mean like, Daphne's. yeah, like <laughs> just the nonchalant guy, the guy who didn't really care. And simultaneously, the people who I didn't really care that much about wrote no poems for, et cetera. They were the ones that were always into me. So I was always dating, you know, until I was in my early twenties, I was always dating the person that like, I didn't really have that kind of feeling for and it built like a lot of built in a lot of different challenges and also through my own childhood and everything it being a, a great lover was the way that you validated your manhood and i was i was always chasing that and i was always chasing that externally chasing that i had to be this certain type of lover externally validated so that i was worthy of love as a man which was my idea of what was worthy of love was being the the greatest man and then i could be worthy of love so i had a lot of different you know factors that were going in i mean the amount of pressure that i put on myself in my sexual encounters in my teens and 20s was enormous i mean i remember one time like i met this girl in australia and i was so nervous that i couldn't perform in bed and i literally you know she fell asleep and didn't seem to care that much but i literally forced myself to stay up and i wrote i i wrote like invictive hate messages hate letters to myself all night as a way to punish myself for that momentary like inability to perform in bed all night i wouldn't let myself go to sleep but you don't you don't fucking deserve to go to sleep you fucking pussy you like you like you're not a man like stay awake crazy like crazy and really when we got together so much of that healed you know because you loved me so like thoroughly and then i had the catapult reaction where i was like we were really adventurous in our sexuality and i got to you know beat my chest like king kong and go like <laughs> ah! you know, like i am a lover yes. yeah. and that that healed you know a lot of it because i got to actually go through not only what you were able to offer me but what i was able to to do in the world so that was like the first step but it never really it never really like fully landed i still didn't love myself without that validation i needed it still con continually and i think that's also what drove me into polyamory you know was that desire that like 
I need more and more. It was the hungry ghost effect of the lover. Like I need more, I need more. And of course I love the world like you and like all of us, like I love, and like what Kyle was saying, like I love, I love the world. I love different people. I love the intimacy that's created. And that's all, that's all fine and healthy. But the dark side was that I needed it. You know, like I really needed it to, to actually love myself. And that played out over and over. And, and in my encounters, you know, as an actual physical lover, there was me who was being the the magician, the healer, and the and the warrior and the king, and really lavishing my love like Cyrano would. And then there was the one like, I need I need to prove something to myself right now. And and so I would ask of my lovers, you know, things to help me believe that I was a certain way about myself. And that wasn't always healing. And actually today in the car, because I was thinking about, I knew we were going to talk about this. I've really had a hard time looking back now because I'm, you know, Vailana was finally the ultimate, you know, healing of that and release of that. You know, she loves in a similar way that you do, you know, and I'm just an, an older, wiser man and I can fully receive it because I love myself so much more because that's another thing. We'll only allow someone to love us to the extent by which we love ourselves. Yeah. Anything that's over that, we're like, you know, homegirl's crazy. She loves me so much more than I love myself. And so she's lost a rocker. Totally. Like we won't believe it, so we won't receive it. So now I finally love myself enough that I'm able to receive her love. And there's been an amazing healing in the whole process through that. I've been able to stand in that and not have to prove anything. And it's all play and love. And it's all just the pure enjoyment in the moment. I'm not thinking about my performances when I'm making love to her. I'm just making love. And that's, that's where it's really fun. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where it's really great. But, you know, in that, in my dance, you know, with, with Whitney, that was always so hard, you know, because we were polyamorous and she was seeking love from somebody else. And if she gave something, you know, sexually or intimately to somebody else, I needed that plus two, you know, I needed that plus, you know, times 10 or whatever, just to like prove that I was the one that was the most worthy of love. And, uh, and it was really hard, you know, it was really hard for me to, to look back and be like, man like why did you need to fucking do that like you could have stayed as the as the healing lover the whole time but at the same time you know it's not entirely on me both of us could have stepped into that role and seen each other and both healed each other through the act of loving each other you know i mean if she was fully in her in her divine lover and i was fully in her divine both of us would have been able to offer that and just quietly just stood there with the love and with that assurance and we both did our fuck both did our best but i think that's the invitation when we're in love with somebody is there's so much healing that that can happen in the act of love yeah we just have to really understand what our motivations what's pulling us what what our desires are what's really there so that we can actually use love as a healing force rather than using love as a force that takes takes for your own personal you know desires and certain times people can step into other roles and just offer that but when you're really offering that it always feels the best it, it always feels like hollow and gross when you've taken something that someone didn't really want to give right like i always felt way better you know when if whitney just needed me to just massage her you know she's just been out with her other you know out with another guy we haven't seen each other but she was like kind of feeling in a fragile place and i would choose hey why don't you lay down on the biomat we'll turn it on i'll light some candles i'll play some music and i'll just massage you tonight and i would always feel so good at the end of that night the act of love was the receipt of love itself like it's simultaneous you can't give love and not receive love 
and those i remember those times and i was like that was the way and then i remember other times where she'd come back and i'd be like what did you do with him you did that well we got to do that now and she's like oh fuck i don't want to do that now i'm fucking tired and i <laughs> like i don't fucking care I'm tired tired not to you gave it to him you gotta give it to me you know and that because i needed that i'm like fucking stupid boy you know but there is that kind of forgiveness of you know this is a, a very challenging it's a very challenging dance to step into the full role of the sacred lover and uh you know it's taken me the longest to get i think to really get that aspect of my psyche and that archetype healed to a place where i'm really stepping into it and the, the last thing i'll mention on this archetype is i even though with all of my faults and all of my you know self-love challenges i was always able to step into a really high form of the lover i was always able to be you know a really strong and pure and powerful and conscious lover at certain times and i always felt the i always carried the burden of fuck should i really do this should i really open the floodgates and love so strongly that the person i'm with might not feel love like this again because i don't think i'm gonna stay here forever like mm. i think i'm gonna leave you know and i always had that fear because nothing was ever enough first of all so i knew that if nothing is ever enough i was going to leave at some point anyway so that was part of it and part of it was you know there wasn't the accord i really believed that i was destined to be with vi so there was a knowing that was there that this wasn't exactly right it was per it was perfect for the moment but i was always like afraid you know i was always afraid and sometimes i would let the fear go and i would have to convince myself that you know of whatever i needed to convince myself to really let that love go but i understood that that was also dangerous and actually a boga when we did a boga the first time a boga showed me that it was like your love is your love is dangerous mm. it's so strong you know it's so strong it's going to recalibrate what's what's possible and that's going to leave a leave a mark and leave an imprint and when you leave there's going to be you know a lot of pain with everybody who you leave and um and it, it told me all kinds of crazy i mean i i think my own mind told me all kinds of crazy solutions about how to do that and interestingly aboga was like i think aboga actually and i've never really talked about this because when aboga showed me that and and how like if i really loved that fully it was going to be very difficult for everybody it was like the safest way is to make sure that there's always there's always more than one and this was well before my polyamorous like as long as there's always more than one no one will get too attached to just you and they won't allow those stories but i was like so what does that mean i'm having threesomes constantly or whatever and it was like no not that but it was like be careful but i don't know if that's the necessarily it was always a challenging thing it was always like how do you really surrender and let go of your love if you're not sure that you're gonna stay with that person and i guess it's a trust that no matter what there's only the moments that exist and i guess i i wish not that i would have held back because i never really held back anyways and to hold back is just kind of a fucked up thing right. i guess i wish i think the better way would have just been to just let it go like love fully and just allow that and be honest you know of course that's the thing that has come into my mind is if you approach it the same way that we approach telling the truth is like <clears throat> If I just tell the truth, whatever happens as a result of that is the best possible thing that can happen. If I love fully, whatever is the result later is the best possible thing that can happen. I do think the one technical caveat is do not make promises 
with language in the love giving fully that you know you can't honor the next day. But like when it comes through your behavior and your energy, fucking flood them. And the promises can change too, because sometimes we make those things from the purview that we have in that moment and it's wholehearted. But we being willing to show up to each day in truth with your evolution together, really, really close and being like, this is what I'm feeling shift in me right now. And this is, you know, as things evolve, being together on that journey of evolution and being honest about that, I think is another way to navigate the yeah. certainty that you will evolve and change as time progresses and figuring out what commitments you can make with that understanding. And I think the root is trust the God in them. Like, I think that that's the yeah. ultimate court. Like, trust that everybody has a daemon, everyone has a higher self. Do not take on, do not inflate your ego to believe that you can do something that their higher self is not going to be able to alchemize and just be yeah, anything else is anything else has a, a an air of condescension to it like i know best and i'm going to do what i know best but if you just tell the truth all of that goes away and i think I, I guess the aspect that was hard is i felt like my truth was capricious mostly because i was convincing myself of things all the time as <laughs> like it could change hour by hour moment by moment and that's also the the dark aspect of the king which i have which is judgment you know like I would I would make a judgment and be like, oh, well, see this judgment? Based upon this judgment, it's not going to work out. And then I would forgive that judgment and be like, oh, fuck, it will work out. This is incredible. I'm so in love. And all of these things were happening. And then to open that inner dialogue <laughs> would have exposed the madness and the overbearingness of my king and judge archetype, which was constantly in this. So it was it was a difficult spot to be in just because I was in the evolution and in the growth of understanding myself and mm -hmm. i think that's the that's the other challenge where ultimately there's so much forgiveness because it was i was really learning about myself learning about judgment learning about you know the ways in which i delude myself you know my own inner spells that i would cast on myself constantly negative spells and positive spells um so of course like we all are yeah for know. sure so it yeah. was a, it's been a and i'm ultimately just want to say to everybody who's ever you know been in a romantic dance with me i'm just so impossibly grateful for every mm -hmm. fucking moment and everything was 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 perfect and you were perfect you know whoever's out there most probably aren't listening but but i'll send it to the ether like it yeah. was perfect and you were perfect and thank you because i wouldn't be who i am and you know i just trust that in all my imperfection and all my fallibility and all the times i fell short that in some way um it was as productive to your life as it was to mine. Well, I am sitting right next to you, yeah. and I'm going to take this opportunity publicly to say, you gave me the greatest gifts of my life by loving me, by introducing me to plant medicine, by never giving up on my potential, and by leaving me when you were ready to. Because then I got to start asking myself the question, what does the hero of my life do? Not what does she look to Aubrey and ask? What does she do now? And you gave me my odyssey. You gave me my book. And our love has brought me back to the seat at this table as a coach, as an ally with these brothers. And it's so perfect. So for anybody who doesn't feel it yet, you're all heroes whether you are Aubrey's former love or the former love of somebody else or a man who feels like he feels in this moment, feeling into the responsibility of the depth of his love. 
have grace with yourself and just ask yourself, what does the hero of my journey do now? Because that's what it's all about. So thank you. Hey, woman. Thank you, love. Mm. <laughs> well, there's one, uh, there's one archetype left on the board that we're going to talk about. There's many archetypes, of course. <laughs> it's just the beginning. Um, Part 43. And we're going to take a break and then come back and talk about the mystic. All right, we're back here to talk about the final archetype we're going to discuss, which we've um, referenced briefly, which is the mystic. And uh, this is a, a really important, important and powerful archetype. Maybe in some ways, you know, the most powerful archetype that any human being can actualize. I mean, if we think about the mystics, they're the ones who've left indelible marks. Many of them, certainly some have been you know, quietly burned at a stake somewhere and their stories haven't been written because they were just living so in accord with their divine self that, you know, nothing else actually was transmitted other than the presence of their being for those that they were with. But when you think about the mystic, you know, what do you guys, what comes to mind for all of you when you think about the archetype of the mystic? Yeah, I've got two stories. So the first one is Socrates. Um, so he was dubbed <clears throat> the wisest man in Athens by the Oracle of Delphi or Delphi because he listened to his daemon. And um, his daemon essentially told him, go, and Athens was a small city. I think it was like 25,000 people or something like that when he was there. But he was told, go question all the smartest people publicly and just question them. D don't assert anything, just question them. <clears throat> and he started embarrassing like the most powerful people in these public forums over and over again and he eventually got charged with uh, some form of treason and the way it worked in athens was when you were charged with treason it was essentially you have six months to leave and this is like our way of saying get the fuck out <clears throat> his daemon told him no and he knew that if he didn't leave that he would die and then there's the famous story that Plato wrote of like all of his friends coming to him to his prison the night before trying to break him out. And he's like, no. And Plato and his friends are like, dude, like we need you to stay alive. And he explained to them, my daemon has told me to not leave. And he drank the hemlock and he died. And it, we still talk about him today. And I think that that is the archetypical foundation that also imbues the story of Jesus as well, which is like <clears throat> the mystic will die in service of their daemon. And uh, those people leave stories that like Im just impregnate us. And then <clears throat> my personal favorite story of the mystic comes from one that we don't know his name and it's called the Rainmaker. And I told this at the Fit for Service Summit recently. But this was Carl Jung's favorite story that he would tell like every lecture he gave in the last like 20 years of his life. <clears throat> and the story is essentially Jung's Western friend who was a scientist went to a town in China that was going through a drought. And the Westerner was going up to the elders and he was like, you know, what are you guys gonna do? You know, the crops are failing, people are dying. Are you gonna, you know, build wells or bring in water from some other town? <clears throat> and the elders said, don't worry, we called for the rainmaker. And the Westerner looked confused, like, what the fuck is a rainmaker? And eventually this old man comes into the village 
And the Westerner watched the elders like all come up to him and take this old man to a hut at the edge of the village and the old man goes in. And for the next three days, no one goes into the hut and no one comes out of the hut. And then at the end of the third day, it starts raining and it rains all night and like kids are out dancing in the rain and the Westerner is very confused. And uh, the morning after, the rainmaker comes out and the first person there is the Westerner. And he's like, how did you do this? And the old man said, <clears throat> I came from a land that was in order. When I came here, the land was out of order and the land infected me and brought me out of order. And so I had to go bring myself into order. And as soon as I brought myself into order, the land came into order. And once the land was in order, it did what it needed to do. And so it rained. And this story is the culmination of what Jung was trying to teach with the individuation process, that when you bring all of these archetypes inside of you together in order, in harmony, you begin to manifest miracles, not of your ego, not of your intention, but miracles begin to happen around you. And I think that that is the essence of the mystic. Two things come up for me when you say that. You said the mystic is willing to die. It's true, but the mystic is identified with the unborn and the undying aspect of self. So ego, the mystic yeah. cannot die. And that's why he's willing to let the lowercase self you know, die. So it's like, oh, well, that's not me anyways. So if you want to take that thing off the board, that's fine because the mystic is so identified with the force of consciousness and awareness and the unicity and the connection, you would have to destroy God to destroy the mystic. God would have to die for the mystic to die and mm. God can't die and nor can consciousness die itself. So the mystic is so identified and that's almost like the proof of the mystic in some ways. Like if you really are a mystic, you don't, the triviality of that lowercase s self death doesn't matter. You can be like Kuang Duke and sit in meditation, pouring have someone pour gasoline all over you, stay in meditation and allow someone to strike the match and the flames to lick at your flesh and you stay in meditation the whole time because you're not even identified with that lowercase s self pain. You're identified with the suffering of the people who are being oppressed and you want to create that symbol. And like that's what the mystic is capable of. And that is like, it's unfathomable to imagine that. I mean, just think of all of the all of the machinations we make when something is uncomfortable. You know, I'm a little tired. Let me reach for this thing and this thing. I'm a little, this is a, this is a little cold. This is a little hot. This is a little, he had flames devouring flinch. his body and he didn't flinch. You know, like that's the, that's the essence of the mystic. And it's a, it's a radical shift in, in identification, you know, that, that actually transpires. And your story of the rainmaker, of course, it's almost the highest articulation of the magician at that point, because he's creating alchemy based upon the mystical truth of Hermes Trismegistus, who says, you know, as within, so without. So taking the the macrocosm of this land that was out of order, internalizing it, fixing it internally, and then externally it's fixed as well. And that's really getting into, you know, the magical, like capital M magical realms of existence, but which very well might be true. There's a story of a Hawaiian kahuna who did a very similar thing. And the legend is, is that he cleared out an entire mental hospital using a very similar method where 
and this story is told in Joe Vitale's book, Zero Limits, he, the kahuna moves into a mental hospital in Hawaii and he goes and he sits with everybody in the hospital and he sits there and he identifies the aspect in self of whatever they're expressing, the schizophrenia they're expressing, the delusions, the paranoia, whatever they're expressing, he finds that in self and he applies his own fix to that aspect of self without talking to them, without trying to fix them, but he just absorbs all of that, finds it in himself, cures it in himself with the the practice of i love you thank you i'm sorry forgive me which is the words that we know about with the whole ponopono practice but really it's it's saying that whatever i see externally is in me as well and if i want to solve that i can just solve it in myself and when i read that book i was like hot i was like fresh off it and i'll give an example so we were flying in i believe it was either dallas or, or houston airport and it was one of the airports that had the trams and as we were walking to the tram there was this dad that was super aggravated with his like four-year-old kid who had a little backpack on a cute little kid he's like i told you we were going to be late we're going to be late and it's going to be all your fault we're not going to get there and you're not even going to get to grandma's house you're not going to get to go this because you were late and you wouldn't listen to me and blah blah and he's just going off and it was like causing a scene and like everybody's looking like fuck like this is bad you know, this is like, this is a emotional abuse that we're witnessing here. So then the thought was, okay, well, do I go up and confront him and say something? Well, that would probably lead to a confrontation, which would probably redirect the anger towards me. And then when I left the scene, I mean, who knows how far that would go? It would either continue and escalate, and then I would have to do something bad to that guy in the airport, you know, if it got aggressive, you know, or... I could try because I just freshly read Zero Limits. I was like, all right, well, let me try this method. And, and I was there with Whitney. And Whitney was like, you got to do something. You got to do something. I was like, I hear you. Like, I do. I got to do something. But the, the idea of confrontation in the airport at that time in front of his kid, and, and like, that didn't seem like the right thing. So I just sat in meditation on the tram and we had a bunch of stops. And I found that part of me that has been frustrated with somebody that it wasn't their fault that projected my own anger and my own frustration on an innocent or on a and i found that aspect i found the part of me that could act exactly like that man was acting and i felt that energy and i just started applying like i love you thank you forgive me i'm sorry you know and just started to heal that in me and it was one of the most magical things that's that's happened because he was just on this constant tirade and, and the more i went he just slowed down slowed down slowed down slowed down finally he just stopped and he said ah oh, it's all right buddy you know like even if we don't make it it's fine and it just switched and who knows maybe he just ran out of steam and maybe that was what was going to happen anyways and i could have just you know ate some beef jerky and watched the you know watched it and that would have happened exactly that way or maybe not maybe that actually maybe that actually worked and I'm not enough of a mystic to fully believe that without some healthy level of skepticism. But, you know, and I certainly I've missed a lot of opportunities to try that subsequently. Um, but, you know, even speaking about it reminds me like, why not? Why not try to be the rainmaker? You know, why not try to try to do that? And in, in the Fit for Service Summit, you know, if, if you recall, we were facilitating breath work and mm -hmm. uh, something happened with our water well at the ranch right after you told the story. <laughs> like the day before 
and I just encouraged everybody who's going through the breath work said let's get right with the water in our own body let's let's put that back in order let's allow whatever emotions that are going to be boiling up to flow through freely without blockage and without obstructions and let's honor the water of in our bodies in this land and in the self through this whole process and let's see if when we're done with this ceremony if the water will be back on and it'll be fixed and so we go through and everybody goes and does incredible work and we all do and I go back in and I go to the kitchen sink and boom, there's the water back on. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> now, would that have happened, you know, without me saying that and without it doing it? Maybe, you know, I'm not saying like, I can't prove that it did. And I think that's the thing about the mystics. Like you can't prove this stuff. You can't prove that the Hawaiian kahuna did that. You can't prove that it wasn't just coincidence that the rain came after the man stayed in the cave. But it feels like there's something there. And it feels like that's a possibility. That's a law of the universe that we're just not quite ready to fully believe most of us at least we're not fully ready to step into that mystic role and i guess if if i'm talking about me just so i can wrap up my you know my go here is that part of me has felt it has felt that that mystic within me and also i've been too skeptical to really believe it and to really like go all the way um but there's really nothing to lose Mm -hmm. you know in this in this process other than again the fear of our own power and the fear of our ability which is which is a real thing but as i look forward like stepping more into that and being open to that being and really believing that that's a realm of the world and a reality that exists and that i can influence it that would be the the growth edge Mm -hmm. when i um when i think about the mystic archetype it's the obvious, obviously because I'm so human, it is the farthest uh, from my felt experience of like familiarity and feeling like, oh, I know what that's like. But I, you know, I think of, I'd love to bring in some women and I don't know mythology like some of the other gentlemen at the table, but, um, you know, I think of Joan of Arc who received clear vision from the archangels that told her to do what she did with the revolution and she died at 19 doing exactly the message of that she got in her channel. Now she was more active. She was, you know, willing to die, but she was, she had a, a mission. A lot of um, the mystic archetype I see is more of a sitting in the seat of vision, an oracle, where it's, I'm not making an effort to really manipulate or change anything unless you come to me and you ask, you know, do I want, do you want to see the future? The mystic is operating beyond like time space where you can see the past, present, and future, that ancient future, and all of it's weaving together in their vision space. You know, they can see the energy body, perhaps, or the energy body of the consciousness of the plants or the here or the land. You know, there's so many languages flowing in the mystic where there's a big symphony of communication happening, and there isn't a need to tend to any of it necessarily. You know, um, it's I'm here for service, Mother Teresa you know, um, just moving around where help was needed and being there and letting her energetic healing presence be of service to people in need. Um, and Mary Magdalene, so obscured by the history books and the condemnation of women, but you see all of this, you know, the mystical feminine was really squelched out by history. Mm-hmm. A lot of more of our mystical orientation and myth and everything is in masculine and and the women will be archetypical symbols or whatever, but we're lacking for that deep feminine crone, oracle, mystic, like real 
examples that feel real for people. And um, there's so much intuitive wisdom in just the feminine energy. Like feminine doesn't mean female, you know, it's it's intuition and that sight and that oracle energy. So I haven't had a lot of personal experience because I, from my purview at this point, I feel you, um, you know, there is a selfishness, selflessness that is willing to set down the human almost entirely to become a truly pure hollow bone whose number one orientation is to receive divine con contact with the divine immediately with no intermediary. And for me, my experiences with the divine have often be been in plant uh, medicine ceremony. I've had some pretty spectacular visionary experiences. I don't just mean vision, like the, the, the pinta, you know, like the the geogra uh, geometry, but I, I'll see, like, when we were just in Sedona, we did a very special mushroom ceremony, and I actually had one of my first vision experiences where I saw my hands turn to the crone, turn old completely, and my nail beds got longer, and I could see, and the veins popped, and the skin changed, and it was like, this is your future. Like, these are the hands of your future. Mm -hmm. And um, just being able to taste that every now and then, I think, gives us a glimmer of belief and understanding that the vision space of these mystics is very real and is attainable for us if we purify ourselves and devote ourselves should we choose to you know and um i think a lot of for a lot of mystics it comes in without asking for it and that's what we've heard about through all of the myths but you know it can be a north star in how we approach our devotion i think the oracle is a is an interesting aspect of a feminine representation of the mystic, I mean, go to the matrix, right? And the oracle, there's kind of a, a divine nonchalance to the way that the oracle yes. acts, right? It's not She's like they not have a vested interest it. because everything is perfect. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth that the mystic knows. It's like Paul Selig talks about it. Like if you're in, in the, you know, in the upper room and in the highest articulation of self, which is the mystical space, you see a man, you know, who's stumbling on a mountain you don't immediately go to help him because that's what you think you should do. You see him as the one that's capable of moving through and maybe choosing to stumble because that's the lesson. So you're not compelled to help. If he asks for help, you know, you help, but you there and you see him as the one who's choosing this and you give him that power and that that, you know, sovereignty to say, you may be choosing this. And if you're choosing to stumble on a highest on the highest level, continue to choose to stumble and i bless that as an equally good path as the sherpa that's walking deftly through these frozen rocks both are just as good in the eyes of the divine every path mm -hmm. is the same there is no better or worse but if you would like help i can help you i'll give you my coat i'll give you my hand you know because and that's the you know that's the essential nature of the mystic or the oracle it's like do you want your future or do you want this? And, and whether you can tell the future or not is not the point, but it's it's the divine nonchalance of knowing that all outcomes are good and that it's honoring the free will and honoring the choice of a person's soul to say, like, I'm I'm here, but whether you choose this or not, I have no judgment either way. I love, you know, it's a love that holds no record or wrong, like, like you said and what Ted has taught. Like, you know, this path is just as good as this path is just as good as this path through my eyes, through the eyes of the divine. As I see, I don't see preference. I don't see this is better than this is all a way to learn. And if you want to choose a different way, may I be of service? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of these as um, 
And lots of this, lots of the stuff that we've been talking about through these two episodes is coming up for me right now. But what the plants have done for me and what meditation and breath work and any of these practices are doing is building my cord, the bridge of intuition, mm. my ability to listen to the daemon's call. And when that gets strong enough, it's like you talked about, like Eric's no longer there, Kyle's no longer there. Like I'm sitting passenger seat, but I've allowed, um, I've allowed something to come through me. And there's no argument because the re there's a recognition of the truth. And in the recognition of the truth, <clears throat> there's no fear of consequence and there's no confidence necessary. There's no give me strength to do this thing. It's just a matter of if I say yes or no to it. And over time, enough of those things have happened to where now when I'm pressed with a, I don't know how this fucking pans out, but I know where the source is coming from. It's an automatic yes. And the more I begin to live in that space, the more fruit that that has shown in my life. And uh, I'm not always there for sure, but I think that we're walking these paths right now that are leading us. And sometimes we, we willingly choose the fire of an open relationship, or we willingly choose something that we know is gonna be critically hard and, and you know might fracture the psyche or in some ways need some healing and cleanup afterwards. But in those experiences, everything through the lens of our own development, our own unfolding of consciousness. And at the same time, recognizing the fact that everyone else gets to do it in their own divine timing, the perfection that is God. Mm -hmm. <sighs> that everyone does awaken to their own divinity, but it happens exactly when and how it will need to happen for them as individuals. And, and in that recognition, that has given me so much peace and allowed me to peek, not live in the space yet, but peek at uh, all this chaos as perfection. Mm. That is the essential nature of the mystic, is non-judgment. It's the absence of judgment. It's the, it's the expression of the divine, which is there is no judgment in the divine. That's an anthropomorphization of our own dark expression of the king that we're placing on God, it has no place in God. God says, yeah, go for it. What are you doing? Yeah, go for it. Like, have at it. And that's the thing that Paul Cech beats over the head all the time, and it's such a, that's you know the true mystical teaching is that the, the divine is everything. There's nothing outside of it. It has its back to nothing, right? Like there's no, there's no place in which it's like looking over its shoulder. You know, it's all of it. And as all of it, there cannot be judgment of any of it. You know, and I think that's the recognition. That's the way the mystic sees the world, but then honors us as everybody as a divine, as a divine being and the willingness to choose. And, you know, that's the that's the hardest, that's like the highest level of the mystic. I think there's like the bodhisattva, which is just that one fractional element right below it which is like i could be this type of mystic and just sit and just you know be in radical acceptance of all like the divine however i'm deciding that love and you know the perpetuation of life in the infinite game of continuing earth to playing is my preference and maybe it's their divine calling and they're just listening and so that's they're fully in accord with it but it's it's stepping at least into the realm saying that 
love is preferable to fear freedom is preferable to oppression so i'm going to fight and then it's stepping a little bit into the warrior and stepping a little bit into the king and stepping a little bit into the love and stepping a little bit into the other archetypes rather than completely subsuming into the purest mystical state but either way like understanding the principles of the mystic and that radical non-judgment i mean that's <laughs> that's such a that's been a big challenge for me judgment judgment is a challenge for fucking all of us it was a challenge for ramdas you know he's like when and he went to his teacher and he said love everyone tell the truth ramdas's immediate objection is i can't i have too many judgments like that's the fucking thing we're always judging and you know i've, I've definitely felt that and in the most mystical space and 5-MeO, you know, Bufo, Toad, brings me to that mystical space of unicity. The last time I had that experience, I just was coming out of it as like, just fucking do away with it. Like, just do away with the judgment. Like, let it go, man. Like, it's like, just fully let it go. But it's, that's an easier <laughs> said than done task to let go of, let go of judgment because that's deeply ingrained in us and productive in a lot of ways. And so um, the mystic is really an idea and it doesn't mean that to do it right, we all have to be mystics and we all have to be like, no. we can choose to be all of the archetypes, you know, in the synergy of it, in the, you know, let our powers combine. Which fucking people are that? I don't know. The rings? <laughs> no, they had the rings and they were like. Mighty Morphing Power Rangers. <laughs> uh, something like Captain that. Planet. Our Captain powers, Planet. Yeah, Captain Planet. As our powers combine. Gonna bring pollution down, down to zero. zero. <laughs> That's it. That's the one. But the idea is that we can we are all of these things. Yes. We are all of these things. And there's a there's a beautiful synergy that comes with the understanding and the acceptance of every aspect of it and the acknowledgement of that. And I, I think for me, that's my goal isn't to just be the mystic. My goal is to try and live fully in all of the archetypes. Yeah. And I feel like that's my Dharma. Now, if somehow my soul tells me another way, so be it. But for now, I just want to bring every one of those archetypes to the fullest red blooded truth of what it is right. and play and laugh and dance my way through this magical game. And that's the superpower of being a human being that that is everything you know like really being embodied here and being like what do i want to play with today who do i want to stand as yeah the, what do i want to do the image that comes through is it's like your psyche is a symphony um all the archetypes are different instruments and the mystic archetype is the one that allows the ego to step down as conductor and allows the daemon to step in as conductor and it's almost like you have to have the ego at the beginning to even begin to tune instruments, but that the ego has to get to a point where it bows out and lets the daemon or the soul be the conductor. And it's it's the mystical archetype that allows the ego to trust the daemon as conductor. And it will play the warrior sometimes, it will play the king sometimes, it will play the lover sometimes. Sometimes it'll play the shadow because the ego has to learn how to fix that instrument because I forgot. And it's a symphony. And sometimes right. a few of them will do their own little quartet. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Often. <laughs> no doubt. Love you guys. Love you too. I think um, we did it. <laughs> yeah, we did it. So fit for service applications are open if you're listening to this somewhat on time. Um, again, there's not going to be that many spots, but we'll read all the correspondences. And if you don't get in this time and we feel like you'll be a good fit, we'll make sure you're in priority for whenever there's flow and circulation. So, you know, definitely if you're called to it and called to work with us and, 
go through this transformational journey with us. It's not like we're gonna we're gonna bring this to you. Like no no no, we're, this is the round table. We're transforming too. Yeah, if you want to go through this with us, and uh, I would just love to meet you, and I know we all would, and it's been just such a pleasure um, to meet everybody who's gone through that, and we got a chance to spend Halloween with some of the original 2019 members and uh it was just a fucking blast you know it felt like you know there was no there was no uh work going on there was all play all it was, play. It was all play but <laughs> playing with that you know playing with the tribe and the fit for service family was um just as great as going through the the work and the and the transformation with them so because that's play is a as big a part of life as the work yeah and all too often we forget that anything else you guys want to highlight things you're working on things that are things that are happening no no oh <laughs> <laughs> he good <laughs> i'm good yeah the the self-work is continuing to unfold and that's that's a priority so. eric godsey the myths that make us podcast kyle kingsbury the kyle kingsbury what is it podcast, a podcast? Yep. hour podcast? Yeah. caitlin Howe. you can follow me on instagram at the po i'm yeah wait i'm like what is my instagram handle at the poet queen and I will be sharing some work on my website coming soon, poetqueen.com. Gang, gang. Yep. At Living with the Kingsburys on Instagram, my wife and I have a joint account now to be able to communicate in real time. Everything's Aragazzi. Instagram, website. Gang, gang. Gang, gang. Gang, gang. <laughs> Beautiful. Gang. Love you all. Thank you so much. Peace. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Make sure to follow Eric Godsey, Kyle Kingsbury, and Caitlin Howe on Instagram and everywhere they're doing amazing things in the world. Once again, Fit for Service applications are open, aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. And it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday at onit.com slash Aubrey. I love you all, and I will see you next week.